This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. More recently, I've been throwing out the idea of of virality because I do want to make things with staying power and with meaning, and I don't need them to go viral. I'd prefer to build something over time with people and for it to hit who it hits and who it doesn't you know, that that's fine. But I've been worrying about virality like way less now, I don't really. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Quinta Brunson is the perfect example of a creator who was able to turn her 15 minutes of viral fame into a solid career. Back in 2014, Quinta first gained internet fame with her Instagram skit about a girl who's never been on a nice date in her life, and that exposure led to an opportunity at BuzzFeed to produce and star in short-form content and digital TV series. From there, Quinta has been steadily building her career with even bigger opportunities, including HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show and the upcoming ABC comedy Abbott Elementary that she created and stars in. Quinta even managed managed to squeeze in writing a book of essays about her life and career in the middle of all her work across TV and film. In our conversation, Quinta explains how writing her book, She Memes Well, taught her how to ask for help, why she's rejecting the idea of going viral, and the key to handling rejection. Oh, hey, Quinta. (laughs) Good talking to you again. I'm so excited. I mean, first of all, congratulations on the book. It's so good. And we'll get there in a moment because I remember last time I interviewed you, like we talked about it and you mentioned how uh, it's not the easiest process. So we're going to get to that in a moment. But I would love to start. I always love starting at the beginning whenever I talk to my guests by asking them, you know, what what was really your first memory of doing something creative that really stuck with you or shaped you in some way? For me, it was in the, the dance world, for sure, because I was a dancer from a very young age. And I think something that really stuck with me was choreographing my own dance routines um, because I think that's a really cool expression of creativity. And it's one thing to be a dancer, but then to start choreographing other dancers was something that really you know invigorated me. And I remember, I think I was maybe like, 14, so not the earliest example, but something that so, you know, that stands out in my mind was when I got to like choreograph the opening number for my dance school's winter concert. I still don't know why they let me do that, but that was like a big deal to me. And I was like, wow, I was trusted to like be creative and and other dancers trusted me to give them good material. And it, it was it was great. It was like a thing with our entire dance school. And I pulled it off. Was it the best? Probably not. But <laughs> I remember it was to like Boogie Wonderland, but from the the soundtrack of what is that movie with the penguins? Oh Happy, Happy Feet. Because <laughs> okay. Happy Feet had just come out and it was a big deal because you know I'm around a bunch of dancers and tappers. So we we loved that shit. We were big Savion Glover fans and he had choreographed for that movie. So it was a big deal in the <laughs> dance world. So um I did it to that and and it just felt really exciting to be able to create a vision like that and it came to life and you know people liked it so that was I think my big first spark of wow I want to create things with and for people I mean how long how long did you dance for I danced from the age of six to about 22 like I still 
I, I was technically a professional dancer. You know, I was a part of a company. <laughs> okay, okay. Part of the company, traveled the world dancing, did competitions, did concerts and recitals. And in college is when I started to, it became that thing of, you know, you kind of have to choose your path. If you're going to be a professional dancer, you have to start committing oh, yeah. to that. And um, once I was in college, I was still taking dance courses in college, but I was like, you know what? This is not going to be it for me. So I, I stopped committing to it and did it more recreationally. So when did comedy come into focus? Comedy came into direct focus when I was probably about 19, 20 years old. And I was dating a boy who lived in Chicago, who he was my high school uh, boyfriend, but he went to college in Chicago. And I started getting very obsessed with the idea of comedy. I knew I, I loved it. And I was at the time watching SNL religiously. And I started getting obsessed, like, where did these people go? Where did, where did this community come from? You know? Mm -hmm. And I found out about the second city. And since my boyfriend was in Chicago at the time, and I found out the second city was there, I was just like, what if I just like take a class? And, <laughs> and so in taking a class there, I, I used my little bit of dance teaching money to fly myself out there and pay for a class, an improv class, you know, mm -hmm. just to see. And then I did it. And I loved it. And I, you know, going there and looking at the hallways and looking at these people, like, this is what they do. This is their art and it's their career. And I was like, you know, it started becoming possible to me. At the time, I wasn't interested in stand-up. So it wasn't like that wasn't going to be my entryway. And so I was like, oh, this improv thing seems like it could be it for me, though. And I had a teacher at the time, her name's Shelly Gossman, and she pulled me to the side after my improv class and was like, you need to take the writing course because you you have something and you should take the writing course. And I was like, that's cute and all, but I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> and and really didn't. And you got scholarships she, or no? Nah? Like what's up? <laughs> and she, and you know, she took $500 out of her pocket and gave it to me to take the writing course. Come through, Shelly. That's so nice. Oh my God. <laughs> that was the real changing point for me. I had done a bunch of different things, but this was the first time someone like believed in me that much to give me money and say, no, you need to do this. So it became realistic for me as a career path at that point where I was like, okay, I know I have something here. And I didn't know, you know, what course was about to be ahead of me. Cause I honestly just thought I was just going to be on SNL like that. That to me seemed like the, you know, but, um, that, that was definitely the turning point. Yeah. So what did you get from comedy and improv and performing in that capacity that you didn't get from dance? I think words, it, it was, it was words. I was a wordy girl. I was big into <laughs> my journal and, you know, and, and reading and writing and, Dance is, as we know, mainly expression of the body, you know, dancing to other people's words. But, you know, even in there, I would try to put my funny in sometimes to different like <laughs> routines and stuff. And, and, you know, it works, especially in like hip hop class and stuff like that or, or hip hop um, performances. I was able to put more of my personality in and my sense of humor, like making absurd faces while doing the Harlem Shake was like, this is what I want to show about the Harlem Shake. <laughs> You know, silliness. And I think that that's what comedy offered me was more, more, more ways to express what I thought was important, mm -hmm. which was the humor 
of my people or the, the humor of who I was. And it was obsession, you know, I was purely obsessed. I, I wasn't obsessed with dance. I was good at it and could do it. But, you know, I was spending my time watching nothing but comedy, watching nothing but sitcoms and, and, and movies and, and old stuff. I start, I Once I started digging into old stuff, like, well, what were the origins? What was Charlie Chaplin doing? What was Mom's Mate? That, it was that right. curiosity that was like, okay, I'm, I'm obsessed and therefore I want to, want to pursue this. I think it's fair to say that what really jump-started your career was the girl who's never been on a nice date Instagram series. And mm -hmm. for those who may not know, I mean, how did that even come about? Because it was an unintended success story for you that really put you on the track to where you are now. Yeah. Um, before that series came out, I was just like trying out characters, you know, like, and I'm not even sure I was looking at it as like, I'm trying out sketch characters. I just was like kind of doing what I thought was funny. I really came up with the idea of doing that character because I was asked to put on a sketch show at the comedy store here in Los Angeles, which is notoriously not a sketch place. It's a stand up place, mm -hmm. but you know, it was an opportunity to, to do something and be seen. And, you know, I was young and hungry and I wanted to be, to I wanted to do comedy and be seen doing it. And so I had like come up with that character and I was like, I I'm going to do this at this sketch show and see how it goes. And and we had nothing. We had a stage that was meant for stand up, not for sketch. And so I chose to do it there and it was in front of an all black audience, which we didn't know would be the case when we put the sketch show together. So that was really make or break. Like if, if, it, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't good, I was going to know not only an all black audience, but an all black audience that came to see stand up. You know oh, what I mean? Man. All right. Okay. And come here for the, you know, woo, zip, zap, zaps. They came for stand up. <laughs> so I, performed it there and, and that audience loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I have something. And ultimately I improvised it. I didn't like really write anything. I just was going off of, you know, my ideas in my head of what this girl would say. And then I had a friend who was like, you need to put this online. Like you need to put this on YouTube. But I was very against the internet. Why? I, <laughs> I was just so anti internet. I was like, I, no, 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 I'm a, I'm performing on the stage. I'm a stage performer. <laughs> I'm not a fucking YouTuber. And I was just like very against YouTube. And then maybe around that exact same time, Instagram video had come out. And I liked Instagram. I think the same way we all did when it when it first was it's not it wasn't what it is right. now. This was in the you know, the beginning. Maybe like Instagram had been around maybe for like two years at the time. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll test this out on Instagram video, like test making funny things on Instagram video for just my friends who followed me on Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, like I did, I started making little small funny videos just for me and my friends. And then I thought about putting that character on, on Instagram video and I did. And it, and it, that's when it, it started to reach further than my friends. And it wasn't the sharing platform that we know Instagram to be now. This is when you had to like, you know, I don't even know if you could tag people at the time. I don't think so. It, it, yeah. I don't think you could. I think it was simply like, yo, look at this, look at this, like someone else showing their phone to right. someone else <laughs> to say, look at this. And then people coming to comment because they, they found the page or someone showed them the page. And then I did two girl who's never been on a nice date videos before the big one that really blew mm -hmm. up and really like brought people 
to the page, which was the, the one that's the most, you know, at the movie theaters, famous. of course, yeah. At the movie theaters. <laughs> so it was interesting. It wasn't necessarily planned. It was really just playing around to see what would happen. The internet was not what it was. Instagram most certainly wasn't what it was. So it was really just playing around and trying to make my friends laugh to see if I'll be good enough on a stage somewhere. And then it wound up being, you know, having the 180 effect, which is like, you know, the internet loved me. So I started creating for the internet. And that's, and, you know, you also worked at BuzzFeed where you're producing video content yeah. that would once again go viral. And when yeah. you think about it, are there rules to creating content that sticks or is it just one big crapshoot? Is there a rule to kind of creating that content? I think there there are rules that you can choose to follow and that you can modify mm-hmm. to fit whatever it is you're trying to do. BuzzFeed is a perfect example because I started working at BuzzFeed after I went broke after not making that much money from those from those Instagram videos because that was before anything was monetized, you know, I didn't have, so I was like making money selling t-shirts with the catchphrases, but I never had money before. So I got that money, spent it on crab legs, went broke. (laughs) And then I was like, I need a job. And then Buzzfeed had their way of doing things. They, they do, they had a way at the time of making relatable videos that would go viral. And so when I came into Buzzfeed, I was like, cool, how do I put my spin on this? Mm -hmm. Like what, I want to make sketches. They're not making sketches, but if I can implement the idea of relatability and, you know, hitting the moments that BuzzFeed videos hit, it was, they were called moments inventories and putting that in sketch, will it give the same results? And it did. So ultimately I think the rules are either you want to make something relatable or you want something with shock value. Mm. To me, those are the two things you can bank on. But even in that, it still has to have something unique that makes people want to share it. Because oftentimes I think like people hear that and they try to follow that formula, but it's not that simple. There, there does have to be something unique that motivates people to be entertained, yeah. you know, which is where the entertainment factor comes in. Are, are you entertaining? Is what you're creating entertaining or moving? Or does it tap into people's emotions? That goes into like, the pillars of advertising. I think there's mm-hmm. like six or seven pillars of advertising, you know, and, th- and that comes into play there. You have to be able to pull on a heartstring or shock or something in order to get people to want to share right. something. More recently, I've been throwing out the idea of virality because I do want to make things with staying power and with meaning, and I don't need them to go viral. I'd prefer to build something over time mm-hmm. with people and for it to hit who it hits and who it doesn't, you know, that that's fine. But I've been worrying about virality like way less. Right. I don't really. I mean, you said know. the woman who's gone viral multiple times. I mean, it's just like you can sit from your <laughs> from your from your perch and be like, oh, I'm not concerned with this anymore. While, while people <laughs> below are like, I want what she has. So I get it. I get it. <laughs> I will say even. You know, even for how much I know about virality, I don't know if my um, objective was ever to go viral, you know? I would say I was more about relatability than virality, but now I'm just like, I'm not sure how much any any of those things matter for me as a creator anymore. I do feel like I've been there and done that, and I want to, you know, break into telling the kind of stories I would like to tell in whatever format, whether that be television, film, books, Mm -hmm. which is... (laughs) complete anti-thesis, like, you know, completely different than a viral moment. That shit requires so much 
investment from the creator right. and the reader. So right. you talked about, you know, improv, sketch comedy, you did stand up, digital content, TV series. I mean, you've done so much. And how would you say all those experiences have shaped you as a creator overall? It makes me feel very confident that I am good mm. at this. And and I think that's something that creators and performers we struggle with, even if, if you're the best of the best out there, you still struggle. Like, am I good? Am I a one trick pony? Am I a flash in the pan? And having had the experience of doing so many different things, it makes me feel stronger as an actor, as a performer. I just came off a show that I would have never thought I would have done in a million years, even though it's comedy, it just is, was a little bit out of my wheelhouse, character-wise, that you know, was the show Miracle Workers on TBS. Okay. It's it's with Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> and I'm, I'm playing like Steve Buscemi's daughter, and like what? who would have ever fucking thought? And I'm like a gunslinger in, in a Western, and like, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, oh my God, I can't, you know, when it was the experience was done, I was like, I feel like a stronger actor for doing something that was out of my wheelhouse. Of course. And that's what I appreciate about being able to have been a part, being fortunate enough to be a part of different things is it makes me feel more confident in my abilities. Right. Oh my God. I can't wait for that. I hope <laughs> you as a gunslinger. It's so oh fucking God. silly. Like wait until you it's so dumb. And um and really good though at the same time and um really silly. We're gonna take a quick break and when we're back, Quinta explains why her book She Memes Well was one of the hardest things she's ever done in her career and how she's reframed the idea of rejection. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, I interviewed you around the time a Black Lady Sketch Show was coming out and we talked about your book for a hot second. And you know, you're talking about how it was kind of like inspiration and reading other people's books. And, and you said, and I quote, in regards to your book, it's the thing I've hated the most in my life ever. Let's unpack that. So let's talk about She Memes Well, which first of all, props on that title. Fantastic title. Thank you. But why was it such a, why was this a process you hated so much? You know, after thinking, giving this much thought, books, writing a book forces you to take things in your life that you, for the sake of surviving and moving on, have turned into one sentence, you know? Mm, right. And like, yeah. Here's one sentence here that happened to me. So you can move on with your life. A book forces you to take that sentence and turn it into paragraphs. And then you have to turn those paragraphs into chapters. And it's like <laughs> excruciating. And me even being like a comedic writer or even having done stand-up, and that's what we do. We turn our stories into one-liners. Having to undo that, I was just like, I hated it. I hated <laughs> it. You know? I turn something in and, you know, the editor be like more and more and more. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, I'm going <laughs> to fucking lose my shit. I made this less on purpose. But, you know, you have to start thinking about a reader and someone who has come to this book because they want a book. Yeah. They don't want a stand up set. They want a book. And, you know, I would go through books that I loved, like Tina's book and Gabrielle Union's mm -hmm. book, which is one of my favorite books. I feel like her book doesn't get enough credit for, like, really documenting black woman. I don't know. I just love her yeah. book. 
but like I was like that's right she dug all this stuff out you know which is what made it my favorite book she went into her experiences that yeah could have been one sentence and turned them into paragraphs which is why I found it so comforting mm-hmm. and I started thinking you know that is what I want for whoever picks up this book especially you know some young black girl in a city like Philly somewhere I do want them to feel you know touched mm-hmm. what you know whatever it means for them inspiration relatability sadness you know not feeling alone in their sadness and so that motivated me to to get on board with it but yeah I hated it <laughs> but what would you say you learned about yourself as a creator pushing through that because i mean listen i i I fully understand the arduous process of getting a book together even just doing the proposal because people want like full chapters and you're just like i don't even know what this is yet (laughs) so it's just i get that that's part of the process because they want to know that you want to know they want to know that you know what you're talking about but it is it is such an arduous, long process. And so for you, having pushed through that and having this final product, I mean, what what did you learn about yourself as a creator in that process? I feel like I learned, this is a big one. Um, I like to do everything myself. Same. And I, this was, you know, I do. And I wanted to write this book fully. I, I, I didn't want an editor to be able to come and say anything to me. I was like, you're going to get what you get. And she's like, that's not a book. And I was like, hmm. and I needed help, you know, like I hated to say that, especially something that's like creative. I was just like, especially my book. I was like, it's my story, but I needed help digging out what made it a book. Yeah. And, and that was something very big for me as a big do it yourself person. And it's a lesson I, I continue to learn and it's not like I don't like working with people. I do. I love working with people. But when it's something that's sincerely just mine, I get a little iffy. Mm-hmm. And a hard part was over the span of three years of making this book, my life was changing so much. Mm-hmm. And the time that I wrote that book, I had left BuzzFeed, you know, been on like Black Lady Sketch Show, had projects that didn't go, uh, that I thought would go, um, had projects go I never thought would have gone you know, got engaged, got in a relationship, actually. I wasn't even in a relationship when that story started. So something I learned while making this book was to be less defined in certain parts of who I think I am. I think Mm. our generation is very big on box label, final thought. Yep. And that's just not how life works, especially if you are determined to live it and I, I'm determined to live my life so if things change for the better I have to let them change you know like I have to be open to what is good for me happening to me and in different worldviews and different ideas of happiness and different ideas of activism and different ideas of just living life and stuff and so it helped me to like throw out my hard to find red lines that really don't matter mm-hmm. you know that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things because you know i would come, find myself coming back to a chapter i'd written a year prior and be like who what the fuck was i talking about <laughs> like <laughs> like what who do i think i who do i think i am and you know and then i would be like let me let me write the truth mm-hmm. and less of who i think i should be and what i think people what i think should be said and write it as is and that's up for whoever reads it to to discern you know, 
take what they want away from right. it. But right. I, 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 I didn't want to be in that. You need to do this place, this like, and this is what it is. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you mentioned uh, not too long ago. You're, you, 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 you mentioned like a show that didn't take off, and that, and I find that, you know, you've you've been associated with, with, you know, a few shows that, that never got picked up for a full season. I mean, there was the end of the Mm -hmm. world as we know it at the CW Mm -hmm. and Quinta and Jermaine Mm -hmm. at CBS. And so, you know, as a creator, how do you internalize someone not buying into your vision or, or something that you're a part of? Like, how do you you process that? You know, it's really different every single time. Like for instance, with the end of the world, that was just a pilot that I started. Mm-hmm. It was a blessing in disguise because if that show would have got picked up, I would have had to move to Vancouver. I would have been contracted on a show that I didn't create. And it was all good, like, but I would have been contracted and had to be there mm-hmm. on that show for as long as it ran. And um, but what I did learn from that was that I was a good actor. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that I had actually auditioned for, really. And I didn't audition and I auditioned for that and got it and acted in this high stakes environment because that show was like really big and wild like there were explosions and like aliens and stuff and it (laughs) felt cool to be like all right I'm good in this format and then you know I learned that you know I I tested well from people (laughs) like that stuff you you take with you and you're like all right I'm good at this and then with the show with me and Jermaine and Larry you know that was one where it was like great show wrong network I don't think CBS was the right place. And, you know, a lot of stuff is just business decisions. You go places because this person, this place spent more on your mm-hmm. idea than others. And, um, and I think the most recent project I had was a show on that I sold to HBO max and another case of like, Hey, it didn't work out, but I learned so much. I learned about what kind of stories I now want to tell. Mm-hmm. And I learned about what kind of people I want to work with. And it's weird because everything you mentioned, it all led to my current project now. Like my producers now were the producers from End of the World who I always wanted to work with again Mm -hmm. because they were great. ABC, I developed a good relationship with because of my show with Larry and Jermaine Mm -hmm. because that was ABC Studios, but I developed a good relationship with them. And then my last show was a WB project and my two producers from that are now my WB heads on this current project went out. And then for that show, I wound up selling the HBO match max. I pitched it to ABC and we didn't sell to them. But from that meeting, I was like, I want to work with, with ABC Uh and with these women here at ABC, there were these women we pitched to. And I was like, I'm coming back for y'all. It's not (laughs) this one. It's not this one, but I am going to work with you and then we pitch this show and now i'm working with those women i wanted to work with so you're talking about abbott elementary right yes you know failures in this industry are they're only failures if you look at them as failures because if you start to look at them as like just part of the world and part of the things don't go every day things from the biggest creators and the the big most big name they don't go all the time it's not a failure. It's just part of the the world, you know, mm-hmm. part of what it what what it is. And you keep moving, you get paid anyway. And so just to kind of wrap everything up, and when you think about your career and just, you know, the conversation we've just had, how how do you define creativity at this point in your career? I think if you create anything mm. at all. That's fair. That's it. 
right there. And also, I don't think it's defined by this industry or the, the people who are the most successful in this industry. Some of the most creative things I see are not the most successful, mm-hmm. but they're the most advancing in genre bending and, and create help create the new waves. Some of my friends and I were just talking about, like, sometimes we see tweets, like, about how insert person here is the only person doing things like this and doing it. And it's like, well, you know, not about that person, but about the way we all view creativity and success. Mm -hmm. There are always people in the background that we all take inspiration from. And and we all have communities that we feed off of. We feed off of each other's creativity. Like some of my, the the people who inspire me the most creatively are the least famous people in the world. (laughs) You know, they, some of them are stand-up comics who only do the seller in New York Mm -hmm. and you'll never see them on TV. But to me, they are the most creative because they're creating something brand new. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to be honest, a lot of us take our cues from those people sometimes, you know, we don't know it in, in, but it's like, ah, this person created something new. I want to create something new too. It's like, Mm -hmm. we're always pushing things for each other in these creative communities. So for me, it's someone taking a risk and creating something new and to me that is what's really the most creative is like who is the risk taker Mm -hmm. who's the who's the real risk taker that's usually who the rest of us are taking our cues from (laughs) and sometimes you know sometimes it is the big people sometimes it's me sometimes but ultimately you know it's just about who the risk takers are i love that I love that. Quinta, thank you so much for this. It's always I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you again. And I'm so happy I did too. I yeah. actually love to talk to you for the rest of my please keep being in the, your field because it's always <laughs> great to talk with you. Oh please listen. I mean I'm not going anywhere. You know, as long as I pay my bills, I'm not going anywhere. Good. No, because I think a lot of us need I still remember the first interview I did with you and I was like, wow, that was great because I just feel like you you really you you dig in and you know about what's happening right now. You know about the landscape of of the of the creative world. It's very very nice, and oh. I think a lot of us would appreciate more of that. And so, I like, listen. I I, I, I really I really appreciate that honestly, and it's yeah. it's just the perk of my job. I get to talk to amazing people like you. So keep doing what you're doing, because I mean you're killing it, and this book is so funny. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.